Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Side Woo. This is Sarah, and I'm really excited to announce this week's guest, Elizabeth Electra. They're a Glasgow-based cosmic pop slash goth pop musician, performer, and magic practitioner. And we talk about a lot of woo-woo things. This is a very woo episode. You know, spirit collaboration, elementals, channeling. But we also talk about some really interesting topics around managing your artistic career and really heightening your connection to creativity. So it's a it's a fun one. If you have any feedback or want to send us a message, feel free to go to our Spotify for podcasters page. Link will be in show notes or you can email us at thesidewoo at gmail.com. We're on Instagram. You can follow us there and you know feel free to subscribe rate and review our podcast share with friends all that jazz with that i will leave you to the show thanks so much for listening when you say you're okay and the queen is wearing that Big, or I mean, she's dead now, but that big ass diamond from India. Exactly. Know? And it's, that's kind of embarrassing. Or when mm-hmm. William and Kate did the, the most embarrassing, heinous colonial cosplay tour of the Caribbean oh my God. Um, oh, this no. year, oh, which gosh. was dubbed the flop tour. And they reenacted Ooh. in, I think, Jamaica, this basically seen from the 1950s where they stood up in a Range Rover and were driven in front of the Jamaican troops wearing the same outfits that Queen Elizabeth wore in the 50s. And I was like, Uh, whose idea? I mean, I was literally like, have you guys lost your mind? What is happening? It's so refreshing to hear American people saying this because usually Americans are like, Oh, but I just love, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. No, 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 no. We need to, I'm, I am probably the most anti-royal of all of my English friends. I'm, I'm hardcore. I'm like, let's get that guillotine back out. That was not a bad idea. That's the French part of you. Well, (laughs) Harry and Meghan are, they're doing God's work right now. Well, I think so, but they're still benefiting from, Mm. you know, from that structure and they haven't fully, <laughs> I hate it so much. That's my one political wish that in my lifetime that I see the demise of the royal oh, wow. family because I think that it's it's the mm. ultimate symbol of class, isn't it? And class is it's a system of inequality created to perpetually oppress and then we're never going to have universal love. It's the shining light of white supremacy. It's exactly it's literally that. white supremacy shining yeah. its light all over the world and everything yeah. white supremacy touches goes to shit. Well, so what I will say is my rebellion against the royal family is I just check out completely. That's mine too, yeah. I just have no interest. I- I'm the same. I just check out. I accidentally booked a really long flight to the States on the day of the coronation. Oh, so funny. Accident- accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> 
It was just the day that we got the flight. Well, on the flip side, I am hyper invested in watching it crumble brick (laughs) by brick around the globe. I mean, it was, you guys have to look at the the flop tour in the Caribbean because I think that Bermuda was like, we no longer want to be a part of the colonial empire while they were doing. Amazing. It was in the room with Kate and William. I'm so happy. And it was, you know, it, it was like. You know, whooping from from the back. I love that. From the back hallways. Well, just freaking read the room, people. Read. Like, come but on. That's the thing. But this is the thing. I mean, they're so out of Ugh. touch. Yeah. I mean, they're also that. The, the, I mean, that's just they come from a very small gene pool. You yeah. know. Yeah. Shall we talk well, about you? <laughs> now that we got that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Now we've got that bit out of the way. <laughs> out of our system. Just rage for a second. Yeah. <laughs> well, Elizabeth with an S. We're, I'm in a Elizabeth sandwich right now. No. <laughs> Maybe you could start by talking about, are you a fan of astrology and do you know your birth chart? Oh, I am a big fan of astrology, actually. Yes, I was, I'm definitely a lay person, but I know quite a lot about it. My birth chart, so I'm a Leo son. I, I had this feeling I, that you were a Leo. Oh, Just did with, you? Being a p- yeah. performer, you know, I figured there'd be... Well, it's, a defin- it's definitely a common... But then maybe like Scorpio rising or something? Oh, interesting. Well, now I'm... It's funny that you say that because I feel real connection to... I have most of the people in my life, I would say, are Scorpio or Aries. Mm. It seems to be this kind of... Mm. Or Taurus sometimes, but but a lot of Scorpios throughout my whole life, close, close Scorpios. And I feel a real affinity with Scorpio energy and people often guess I'm a Scorpio, but I'm not. And mm. I don't have any in my chart apart from my oh, part wow. of fortune is in Scorpio. But I think I've just spent a lot of time around Scorpios. Okay. And I've absorbed some of that energy. <laughs> Gemini rising and Pisces moon. Oh, is, cool. So that would anybody, explain your psychic vibes. Yeah, I feel I have a little support group with some other Pisces moon friends. We send each other memes. Oh. We commiserate. Alexis. Yeah, she just told me. is a Pisces moon. <laughs> An Aries with a Pisces moon. So yeah, it's yeah. that kind of... Sometimes I feel my Leo, because my Mercury is in Leo as well, I have a fire dominant chart. Oh, interesting. And so I can be very off the cuff, intense, mm-hmm. you know, say things. And then my Pisces moon's like, are you doing that? <laughs> Maybe we can talk a little bit about where you're at spiritually. You said you are a magic practitioner and that you grew up in a family of people who are into that. So I don't know if that plays into where you're at now or... Yeah. I mean, I could tell you a little bit. I I should probably tell you a little bit about my granny. You know, I listened to Gordon White's podcast and he, his first question that he asks on the RuneSuit podcast is, were you a weird kid? And I was a super weird kid, just kind of naturally little weird, you know, I was actually having a conversation with my husband last night and I asked you, did you used to think about what the edge of the universe was when you were a little tiny, like under the age of five? And he was like, "Mm, a little bit. And I was like, did you used to think about what happens when we died? Where are the ghosts? All of that. You know, I was always attuned to something. Did you feel isolated or was it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I still do for sure. I don't think if you have this, if you're this type of person, I think even if you're around people who are like you, for me personally, I've always felt there's an undercurrent of this sort of something that makes you feel a little bit detached, isolated mm. from from others, regardless of how much you connect, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. But my grandmother on my mother's side... She was abandoned by her mother who was who had her out of wedlock, which was the scandal. Her mum went off to Ireland and left my granny 
with her great aunt and her great aunt had a pet magpie called maggot and she had taught the magpie to talk and the magpie apparently this is the story this is the law okay for my grandmother is that the magpie would walk up and down her great aunt's dressing table and she had these ribbons that she used to tie her hair up with and undo the ribbons and go maggots a rogue maggots a rogue maggots a rogue and talk so wow whether it's true, maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a maybe it was one of these birds that actually does talk. You know, maybe the yeah. story got kind of morphed in some way. But my, I think my grandmother had a bit of a magic, mm. a bit of a folk magic childhood. You know, her yeah. great aunt would put fish bones in the trees to make people go away because they glow phosphorescent. And my granny, she was a very grounded woman. She wasn't kind of into this stuff. You know, in that way, she was a housewife and she was an incredible artist actually. But she wasn't sort of interested in this kind of thing. But she saw ghosts, I mean, and she had some really compelling, convincing stories about them. Mm. One time she stayed in a hotel and saw this woman in in really old-fashioned clothing, followed her down this corridor because she was intrigued by her. The corridor just stopped. And she was like, where did she go? The next morning she told the owners and the owners were like, oh, wait, come here. Brought her into the back and pointed at a picture and was like, is this who you saw? And it was the woman who first owned the building. Oh, wow. Who my grandmother had seen. But with the best story and the thing I love the most that my granny used to tell me about when I was little, which was a portal into the possibility of another dimension to our existence, was that when my grandmother was little, she had a set of curtains and they had on them a scene, a village scene. It was like a there was a well and there was a house and there were little pathways and there were all these little places on these curtains. And she saw little people in her curtains. And like people living a life. In... Living a life. Yeah, especially an older woman and a little girl. And I often wonder, you know, psychologically was that her with her great aunt? But but there was a this kind of something was about my about my grandmother who who was a Capricorn. Oh, that's a really, like, to have something yeah. that's sort of like workaday. And... You know what? I looked it up and I think mm. I remember working out that she'd had a Pisces moon as well. Oh, I think yeah. I remember going, finding out and looking at the day and being pretty sure. Well, and because moons are passed down from mothers. So my mom has a Capricorn moon and her mom, ah. I think we figured out, did too, maybe. So it can get passed down just through behavior. And... Oh, that makes sense. Well, I definitely feel like a lot of my my fascination my spark in there being another dimension came from that and also my father had a series of time life books which were like mystical powers or like psychic powers and you know time travel and all of these books and there was one that I was really fascinated by which I think was the psychic powers one and it had all of these stories of premonition and I had premonitions when I was a kid Mm. and so I was just always I don't remember a time it's kind of like I suppose a fish probably doesn't know that it's swimming in water because it's always been swimming in water. I think I've always had kind of an, both an interest in but also a natural aptitude for an extrasensory perception mm. of things, you know, which has... Do you have an example of premonition <clears throat> that you remember having that was significant in that development? Yeah. I mean, I remember a really kind of banal one, which mm. was that I remember we were going to go on a drive. I grew up in Normandy and we were going to drive and I didn't know where we were going. We were going somewhere for my dad's business and we were getting in the car together and the car was all, I remember being, it was always a rush. My family were all ADHD and it was just chaos getting in the car. And and we drove past this valley with this beautiful castle in it. 
And I dreamed of the castle the night before. Oh, wow. So there was that. And then there was, I suppose, a more, a slightly sadder premonition, but that I knew my father was going to die. And he died when I was 11. And I knew, I think, for six months before. Um, Was that a conscious knowledge or was it sort of body knowledge? I woke up being like, mom, dad's going to die. Oh, well. You know, telling her and she was, don't be ridiculous, darling. There's nothing wrong. It's all fine. You know, go back to sleep. So I don't know if I was dreaming it because I do have a lot of premonition dreams and some of them are really basic or some of them are really big world events. Oh, well. And, you know, massive kind of unpleasant things like in great detail. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I think the worst one is that I dreamed about, so there was a bombing, as you probably know. God, this is a really cheery chat. Sorry, guys. Oh, no. (laughs) We're here. We we go anywhere. Okay, good, good. So I I dreamed about there was a bombing in Manchester at an Ariana Grande concert. I remember that. I dreamed about it. I was at the time on a digital detox and I was really serious about it. Mm. So I was putting my phone away at 8 p.m. I was going to bed early so I went to bed early and fell asleep and woke up the next morning and immediately wrote down in great detail this dream and in the dream I had so I guess it's probably not a premonition because I dreamed it through the night so I might I maybe dreamed it after it happened or as it was happening so I don't know which has happened a few times but but I wrote down in detail the dream it was from the perspective of the bomber I dreamed about the whole run up to it, building it, being told by somebody else to go and buy parts. I dreamed of a flat that I'd lived in where I was building it. I dreamed about my mental state at the time being confused and not sure if Mm. I wanted to do this. I think the thing that was weirdest about it was the, the, the experience of his mental state going through the whole process yeah that's really unusual and then in the dream I went into this kind of big area where there was a concert happening loads of teenage girls I had no idea Ariana Grande was playing that night no idea it's a different city no clue didn't know she was on tour I'm not a huge fan I like her music but it's not like I wouldn't know she was on tour yeah no offense yeah no offense exactly (laughs) Ariana I'm sure you're listening I know right she probably listens to every episode no shade no shade (laughs) It's like that one song that Max Martin wrote for it. Anyway, the thing that I remember about the dream is that when I went into the area, everybody was so much joy. You know, all the people around were just having such a good time and there was this beautiful feeling of joy. And then I remember in the dream, I, I was the person and I was being told again by this figure who was in the dream, do it, you've got to do it. And I pulled it. And as the bomb exploded, I saw these people just fall around me and I levitated as a spirit out of my body in the dream and then I flew around and I looked at the venue and I saw these people screaming I saw people calling ambulances I heard sirens I saw people running security guards and then I floated from the venue out and then I noticed that the venue was attached to a train station Mm. and then I saw all these young girls on the train station ledge just in floods of tears and then I woke up and or, or, wow. that, or then I went into another but when I woke up in the morning I I wrote the dream down in a lot of detail which I tend to do with my dreams and then I remember texting my sister so my younger sister is not online much and so mm. I was it was early I'd woken up super early because I'd gone to bed early and I was like oh, I had this really intense dream last night and I was texting her about it. she was like whoa that's so intense I'm sorry and then 
And my husband woke up not long after and I was like, Stuart, I had this really wild dream. It was so intense. And he was yeah. like, Elizabeth, I'm really sorry that happened last night. He was like, I, you know, I just looked at the news and this happened and it was just, and I said, the weirdest thing about it is that there was a train station attached to the venue. And he went, no, there is a train station attached to that venue. It attaches to a train station. That, I wonder, go ahead, Liz. I I feel like even growing up, as an occultist, identifying with psychic (laughs) capabilities, there might be a before and after in your life after something like that. That is... A, yeah, that's you know, pretty jarring. Both yeah. emotionally, I mean, that's traumatic mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. an experience for the world and then personally. And I actually, just side note, I, I'm not a huge Ariana Grande fan. I like her music, but mm-hmm. I, I don't follow her particularly. Yeah, same. But I remember being struck at that time by how hurt she seemed about that this had, like, shattered, absolutely shattered, yes. that people had yeah. come to experience love, to be with her, mm-hmm. and that this had happened. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that too. And I think like that I thought that the way she handled that was so beautiful and gracious and brave. And I felt really like she honored all of the people who lost their lives really well. And I think coming mm-hmm. back straight away was a big mm-hmm. fuck you to that to that oppressive energy that was, you know, mm-hmm. behind what happened. I mean, I remember just being like, it hurts hearing about it so much it hurts so much anyway when you hear about these really big tragedies and then there's these little connections that somebody you know's mm-hmm. friend was affected personally or this kind of thing you know but I remember sitting there in the pub with this guy Stephen from this band the Pastels who was probably like wow Elizabeth you're really you're really intense <laughs> but I remember sure. just being like I fucking dream I dreamed it. What does it mean? Yeah, like what are you supposed to do with that? There is part of me that struggles with that because Mm. I was, why did I dream it? The Mm. only thing that I can come out of it with, if I were going to assign a meaning to it beyond just me having an extra sense and that manifesting in that way, because that was such a highly charged incident, perhaps the charge Mm -hmm. reverberated outwards. If I were going to give it any other meaning I think it would be one fostering compassion for the person who did it because I was so aware through the whole dream of his state of mind and it was not sound and he needed help that was what was so clear to me through the dream as I experienced that that he was not okay he was being manipulated and do you you think it was another human that was manipulating him or was he having kind of... So I'm studying as a rescue medium who works with earthbound spirits who mm. stay around after they die for whatever, any number of reasons. And there are times where those spirits actually then go and harass living people. And so there's, you know, some element of psychosis that happens because this negative spirit Mm. is trying to bully other people now that they've passed and don't have control over things anymore. And not to say that he wasn't mentally ill, but just that I wonder if that was a real person or if he had like manifested some character or if, you know, or if it was a spirit or what the dynamic was. I don't know if you can tell. The weird thing is that I saw the I saw the person who was manipulating him and I saw the person who was telling him to do it. It was a very mm. slender, angular faced, white, male, British politician. And in my dream, oh. he was a member of the Green Party. And I thought, 
you know, the, the Iraq war, which was very much Tony Blair, British politicians, has had repercussions, it, you know, basically attacks like that are a direct repercussion of, Brit- of Britain's... It was a response and, to that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so do you think he had kind of manifested this public persona around him? Or do you think that potentially he was being, sorry, I don't mean to, we don't need to find an answer. I'm just curious. I don't know. I think, I think it was, I think he was being manipulated from, from inside of, of, you know, the the terrorist organization that he was part of, he was being manipulated from inside of it. But I also think that it appeared as this white man as a symbol of like, remember who's really culpable. Remember that this isn't as black and white as the West really wants it to be. I think that was what it was. Make them pay kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because there's a big, you know, getting into politics, but, you know, the UK's always swung to the right, unfortunately, and and has been swinging heavily, heavily. And I think a big part of it has been this whole narrative. So potentially that, that was part of the dream. But for me, I just felt an enormous amount of compassion and also sadness mm. from, from him once, once it had happened. I felt that he was actually very sad. Mm. In the dream, I was as him, as the person yeah. who did it, very sad. Oh, this isn't what I was expecting. And yeah, so I think it was a compassion thing. Wow, that's so wild. I mean, and you were in England at the time or you were in Scotland? I was in Scotland. I was here, yeah. And have your senses been stronger since living in Scotland or do you feel like it's just been you more than the location? I think it's me more than location, but I do think, I mean, Scotland is very magical. Yeah. Super magical place. But I've always, yeah, I mean, I've just always had, you know, I've known how people are feeling I, and from when I was very little, new new things about people would say to my mother, I think that's happening with that person or, you know, and she was, yeah, whatever, and working three jobs just to try to survive. So stop with your madness, whatever. Yeah. You know, I remember coming out to my mother as a witch and being like, mom, I think I'm a witch. And like, she pissed herself laughing. <laughs> like she was just absolutely crying, laughing in the car. I just do not have time for this. But, but you know, I got my first pendulum when I was eight years old or something I asked for it out of a it was a mail order book that we got we could get any any book you liked mail order in rural France in the 90s and my dad was like hey get a book and I was I want that book and it was about the pendulum it must have been like who is this <laughs> why do you know what that is or, yeah or why do you know what that is? and uh, yeah I mean his his mother had used one but she died when I, I was see. a baby so oh, wow. but I just I'm wondering whether my I think that perhaps my senses are a bit different I think maybe things are a bit different in Scotland Mm. I think that the land does affect you you know the land you're on affects you I always have different types of dreams depending on where I am and I think you can have ancestral connections to places Mm -hmm. and then you can have you know sort of different I mean for me a lot of the time things do come in dreams so I'll go to someone that has an ancestral connection I'll have more dreams about ancestral things or I have more psychic dreams or more prophetic dreams and that kind of thing but Scotland is a really wonderful place to be interested in these things because I mean it's just so the land itself just feels like very active alive you know you go for a walk yeah it's like you go for a walk in nature and you can kind of understand why people love to get smashed all the time I have a theory that (laughs) 
I have a theory. <laughs> oh my god, she's really woo woo. That was an amazing segue. Let's hear it. I was. That was not what I expected you to say. I have a theory that the Fae, who I really feel, you know, when I'm out walking in Scotland or in the north of England or you know in Ireland, when I've been to Ireland, I have a theory that that they want the sort of energy of the chaos. They love that sort of mm. abandon. And I really think that for me, and this is just my personal opinion, that one of the reasons that the drinking culture can be so intense in the British Isles, and probably also when you get up into Scandinavia, you know, also have some Mm. sort of intense drinking culture there is because of the little people. And, you know, they want, they want chaos. They love it. They're Fire mm. elemental spirits. They love that energy. Oh, interesting. And what are I'm what are fairies? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Liz is less of a she's more like Western uh, thought. Yeah. I but mean, like pro interest. So, Sarah talking smack, but I yeah. mean <laughs> I I don't know. I mean I don't know, to be honest. I don't know what I believe in terms of that, but I all I know is that I felt energies in the land that feel very different from when I'm in other places and I I've had dreams where I've been to these landscapes you know that are sort of other that feel kind of like they exist just kind of right next to where we are but I mean I guess you have the fairies of popular culture that are these cute little sweet little you know happy things that are I don't believe that that's you know if fairies exist I think of them more as elemental spirits and I think that there's something to not necessarily be messed with too much and to be respected and yeah I would say that they my feeling about them is that they're part of the earth that we live on there's spiritual Mm. dimension to the earth and I'm sure that there are you know I feel water spirits and you know, earth spirits and that kind of thing. I think you can kind of tune into that. I was telling my friend today that I once went for a hike in Topanga Canyon up this mountain and got totally lost on the way back and was shown Mm. how to get back by an insect. Like it was something out of a Disney film. And I realized now everybody listening to this is going to be like, hmm, Elizabeth's really like got some interesting ideas, but no. Well, wait, tell your story because I have my own relationship with bugs as well. Like as signifiers, they will pop up when I'm supposed to be mindful Uh. about something or or a warning of something happening. Right. Interesting. Because well, because I got lost. I went up and I also rarely get lost. Like I have a very good sense of direction. I remember things visually very well. So I went on this big hike a few hours up this beautiful hill up to this place called Eagle Rock and eagles flying around me. It was incredible. I was by myself. And at the time I was using a stick because I'd had a bad leg injury, but I was kind of at the point where I thought, no, I can do this hike, but I need my stick. And on the way back, I didn't take the right turning and I ended up Mm. scrambling down this really, really, really steep bit. And I was like, I don't remember it being quite this steep on the way back and then ended up kind of down in these sort of woods and then noticed this little insect and realized that the insects had been there when I was kind of further up the mountain. And basically the insect kind of showed me how to get out. Like I just followed it and it took me to this little pathway and then through that little pathway it hopped and hopped and hopped and I followed it onto the main path and then it followed what kind of insect was yeah you know I don't know because 
It's not an insect that we would get here. Okay. It was, it looked like a little kind of st- quite sticky and it jumped just the whole way in front of me. And so it actually stayed with me then for the rest. Like a grasshopper? It was kind of a bit like a grasshopper. It stayed with me then until I got to where there was a picnic bench and a water fountain. Oh my God, that's so amazing. It followed me until there were signs of human. And then it was like, yeah, so you were safe. Yeah. I mean, I would officially like to say that that is not traditional grasshopper behavior. <laughs> they are like a come and go type right. of bug. Right. You know, they they don't hop in front of you. Like This was in front of me. It was like, hi, I'm here. It was really strange. <laughs> I got back being like, what a magical land. Oh my God, I love it. You know, I, I mean, I love California. I have a huge connection to it. But I really felt, you know, I felt at that moment that I was being... Led, taken care of taken care of yeah you know because I was vulnerable and I was like I don't have phone signal where am I I'd completely lost all my bearings and the place that I'd scrambled down was just so steep that- I just started hiking over there and hiking here is very much like stay on the path but mm-hmm. even when you do it's not so safe you know there's drop-offs and mountain lions and coyotes mm-hmm. and yeah the parks well- here are really big Also, like, I feel like a lot of the I perished in the woods stories are people who are very, very close to main roads. Like, that is sort of a theme Mm. that I see where how disoriented you become, you know, and and you are absolutely lost. People panic. People panic, but it's almost like being underwater. It's like we don't have this bearing of what is up, what is down, almost which way is gravity taking you? Yeah. You know, I really felt that like it was, and it was the first time I'd ever really felt it. And I was like, this is why I was scared. I've been walking around in Scotland by myself in England and, you know, I've never experienced it. It was different land sort of energy for sure. Yeah. Well, and I wonder too, speaking of energies, if there is an energy that creates that confusion, you know, there may be helpful energies, but then there is the chaos loving oh, I'm sure. energy that maybe pounces on hikers. Because, oh, I'm sure. You know, you yeah. can go the same hike multiple times and still end up in that position yeah. sometimes, you know, if you don't pay attention at the wrong time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good point. I've absolutely guarantee that that would happen here with kind of elemental energies because I feel it like I'm out in the woods sometimes in Scotland there's just this kind of bubbling energy in the land it's kind of this frothy chaos energy you know where I feel people you know and then that's that's why I think people go out and get drunk because I think they're tapping into that yeah oh that's so interesting well and I wonder too if being around that and being a little extra sensitive psychically, that isn't for everyone, you know? That extra knowledge can be kind of a lot to take on. And so there could be an element to oh, people Oh, good like point. Maybe, maybe people here, you know, I do think that there's probably a lot of people in the world who have abilities, you know, they have extra sensory abilities, but they yeah. are, you know, they don't want them. They shut them off. By, by all sorts of means, by distraction, you know, television or whatever, you know, workaholic, all of these things, you know. And then I think there are some people who are just really yeah. grounded and don't have those abilities. But I do think that that's a really good point. I mean, there's nothing that shuts off your senses faster than alcohol, <laughs> you know, that will dim, <laughs> that will dim your light and sort of close yeah. you off from perceiving what's yeah. around you. It's, a, it's like getting into a box. You know, and, I don't and, drink anymore. 
Yeah. But I used to drink and then I used to try to speak French, which I speak fluently. And all of a sudden I couldn't speak French anymore. Oh, interesting. Because I feel like I've had the experience where if I have like one glass or something, my foreign language skill goes like through the roof. (laughs) (laughs) But also that's not someone who is fluent, you know, or who grew up there. So maybe it like shuts off the right part of my brain and then shuts off the wrong part of yours. Yeah, it definitely doesn't suit me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't drink actually because I found that I really genuinely don't like it. I drank when I was younger and probably just because everybody was or, you know, in my late teens, it's just kind of what everybody did. And, but I don't feel like any, you know, my husband has drinks and, and I'm never tempted. It was just not for me. I'm kind of like coffee. I just don't like it. It's not for me. Oh, that's cool. So, I wish that was the case for me. I stopped drinking in 2020 and Liz. Oh, yeah. I've been sober. I'm an alcoholic addict for 14 years. Ah, oh, so right, I, right, right. Drinking was, you know, love me or leave this earth. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was, right. You know, the choice was taken out of my hands, basically. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For me, I did it partly just mental health, but then also as I started doing work into energy reading and everything, drinking just really clouded that. And also you kind of learn that any kind of substance that you take to change your consciousness gives away part of your free will, which then just totally clouds your ability. Yeah. So it, I was like, well, especially during the pandemic, I'm not, I don't have any power. So I feel Mm. like I'm not willing to give up the last of it to whatever. Actually, really love that perspective. It's a really interesting perspective. And I think maybe there is a, I mean, <laughs> oh, am I going to tell this story? It's a secondhand yes. story, but I really want to tell it. Do it. <laughs> Sarah and I both did the prayer position, by the way. We both <laughs> went into full prayer. Okay. So it's a funny story that. Y- you know, so actually Alexis's husband, Alexis, who introduced us, her husband was for many years the drummer in Franz Ferdinand. And when Franz Ferdinand, the Scotch band, were really kind of out there, just kind of kicking off and huge band, Kanye West was a really big fan. Oh, cool. Yikes. But go on. I know. Well, cool slash ugh. Yeah, back yeah. in the day, right? Whenever it was, 2005 or whatever, it was like in the dressing room, going to see them after the show or whatever, like comes to the shows, then come backstage and... And he said to Alex, Alex Capranus, the singer from France Ferdinand, he's pretty, he's like super, just kind of nice, sort of normal, grounded. He's Pisces, you know, he's a oh, bit cool. of that, just the creative thing, but he's a pretty like, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Normal kind of dude, right? Not woo woo at all. And Kanye was like, Alex, I'm really wanting to learn, you know, I've been thinking I should be doing more singing, but I really want to learn about the voice. What are the things that I should be really focusing on? What should I do? And Alex was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. You've got to make sure you're always doing your warm-ups. But like, the main mm-hmm. thing is avoid spirits. And Kanye went, oh, man, <laughs> spirits. That's amazing. Avoid ghosts for your vocal cords. <laughs> But, but I mean, Sarah, you and I, I wouldn't disagree. disagree. Like, honestly, like I was a little bit, I mean, to be honest, true. true. There would be some like rowdy person out there. Who knows? 
ghost. I do wonder if Kanye is plagued by spirits because his personality I, well, is so volatile. I, that he is hundred percent, hundred. There is an intersection between mental health issues and how many spirits are able to. But this is get into your yeah. Field. So I want to say that it's not an either yeah. or situation. Well, for me, a lot of my personal spiritual practice has to be very much focused on grounding and banishing yeah, and protection. Totally, because naturally, I'm so wide mm. open. You know that. I will, I've had to be very, very careful. And so I do think that that's a really good point. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, that you can get attachments that, you know, even people's thoughts and people's emotions can kind of. Right. Like mm-hmm. you can take on people's junk, you know, which is probably the most mm-hmm. commonly understood mm-hmm. part of it. You can accept people's bad energy, but like, Think of that times 10, yeah. you know, like you can take on any number of things. You think that- with somebody like Kanye, like I'm I'm not a fan. I'm really not like not a fan of Kanye West in any way. You know, I don't listen to his music. I don't think he seems like a particularly, you know, it doesn't seem like my kind of person. But I will say that he's exceptionally talented. He is a, a really exceptional musician. He's an exceptional producer. He really is. He's gifted. And I wonder how much connection there is between you know, people who are gifted and there being a kind of extra likelihood that perhaps you might be vulnerable to interference Mm. from all of these energies and frequencies that exist in the world. We had Shannon Taggart, who's a photographer who studies and photographs spiritualism. And she's done a ton of research on every aspect of the occult. And one of the things that we talked about when we had her on was Michael Jackson Mm. and how he would come into a studio and download an entire song and record it once vocally and then just be done. And then the music had to like be mixed or whatever Mm. around his vocals because he just would channel whatever. And I feel like... I mean, we don't know what happened with him, but there has to be some connection between his vulnerability and his ability to channel this amazing music. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm i not saying I'm Michael Jackson, but that's exactly how I write songs. That is exactly how I write songs. Amazing. Well, great segue uh, yeah. into your music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I was a big Michael Jackson fan when I was a little, little child, but no, I, I, when I write music, it's not, I, you know, I truly do not believe that it's just me. I, I don't know. I get into a, a state of, or I will just hear a melody in my, you know, clairaudiently hear a melody or I will dream an entire song and, you know, it happens all the time. I do think that I sometimes think, have I just been picked or, you know, am I tuning into another dimension? <laughs> this is, these are the thoughts I have, and now I'm telling everybody Yay. about them on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, if you're open to information and your, your psychic energy is open to the knowledge that maybe mm. some, a non-corporeal being or something from another dimension might have, I could imagine that if, if worlds are colliding, that somebody who was incredibly musical in life might 
want to collaborate with somebody who yeah. is able to yes. transcribe a little bit and, and not dictate. I don't mean this is lack of free will or possession and it's not like you go into a trance and, you know, whatever, but just, yeah, it's sort of the gift of, of knowledge that almost doesn't feel like your own. You haven't, yeah. where yeah. does it come from? Yeah. Which true talent in things is often, you know, it, nobody can teach it. And that's somehow why you it's can't. so, that's true. you know, it, it's almost unnerving to see when you see people who are preternaturally gifted at something. It's supernatural. It's true. It's true. A funny thing happened to me and I'm not going to, I don't want to make anything of this because I don't think this necessarily mm means anything in terms of my connection with this musician who I'm a huge fan of right but so I Prince is one of my favorite musicians of all time when he died my friend and I were on the phone right the day he died I'd been quite low the week before and I told my friend Kate and my friend Kate hadn't told me that she had she went up meditating and she was she downloaded during the meditation Elizabeth's feeling really low because Prince is going to die. Oh, wow. And this was before the plane land. It was before all that. But I didn't know this. I was on the phone to my friend, Jacob, who's from Sacramento. We were just like chatting. And and he suddenly goes, honey. And I was like, yes. And he was like, are you sitting down? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, there's been a report of a death at Paisley Park. And he went, they don't know who it is. And I knew instantaneously because I just couldn't feel his energy anymore, you know? But the funny, so I grieved massively. I was just like tears. I still, it still hurts thinking that he's, you know, that I'll never watch him play again. But since Prince died, (laughs) I went from writing five songs a year to being able to write, if I want, five songs a day, you know, five songs a week, 20 songs a month, whatever. My productivity level shot up and... I never felt that kind of really personal, I feel a huge connection with Prince's music, but I never felt a connection with a sort of, I don't necessarily feel there was a sort of connection between us in any way. I'm not saying that in, at all, in fact, but I think either when he died, his energy was so massive, it just kind of shot out and whatever force that was is still reverberating and I caught a bit of it or probably the more likely version is that it triggered in me a desire to be as prolific as him and it helped me to open up even further somehow to even more downloads but my, but also but also I'd say another thing the quality of my music got a lot better when Prince died so I feel like he could also be <laughs> You know, like the spirit world is so vast and who knows how it all works, but he could be sharing ideas. I think spirits can visit and give like skills or helpful hints, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, Yeah. That's so interesting. I feel I, I definitely have connections to like, you know, I'm actually not a Queen fan at all. I um I have a real feeling of I love Freddie Mercury. Oh my like, god. <laughs> you're in good company. I feel like I would have I feel like I would have known him in some other life or something. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Are you do you see my tattoo? Ah, you've got a tattoo of him. Amazing. I have a tattoo of him. I have a four an altar. Four, I have an altar to him. I have a four foot photograph of him. In my room, I I, pr- I pray to him every day to mm-hmm. honor him, but not as above. Uh, I feel like Freddie is on 
he wants to be elevated, but not sort of in the, 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 you know, like the creepy mm -hmm. way, formal way that one might do with fear. But I, I am, I mean, I'm obsessed with queen music, obsessed, right. beyond obsessed. I cry once a week about Freddie and I'm trying not to hijack this podcast <laughs> right now because we've already done two episodes about my complete and utter obsession with Freddie Mercury. But he clearly is wanting to come through because why the hell am I talking about it? He's a patron saint of this podcast. Freddie, patron saint of the podcast. There is my life, my spiritual life. I can't even describe what he is. To me. To, to, to me, it's interesting because because when I think about Prince, right, obviously I have this huge connection Freddie to music. Freddie loves Prince. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know that. I, you know, <laughs> I kind of, when I think of Freddie, for some reason, I feel this really, like, he's there sometimes. I'm just like, Freddie's here. You know, and now I'm going to, like, I'm getting so open on this podcast. Yeah. This is so funny. But, you know, his energy, I just feel it, like, very, you know, and I'm not a Queen fan, which is why I think like, I actively dislike pretty much all of their music. Sorry, Liz. No, no, it's totally but fine. I love Living on My Own. I love his solo song, the dance mix of it. But there was just something, there's just something about him. And I think that he had this extreme generosity as a performer and as a vocalist and nothing was held back. And it was, you know, a lot of people think it was too dramatic or too, but for me, it's just passion and, mm -hmm. and expression. And also his life was really cut short too soon. And so it makes sense to me, I think that he would still be, you know, somebody with, an impact that big you can't just go oh well the impact's gonna end when they die I don't believe that's true well one thing about okay I'm gonna rein it back in but one thing <laughs> when you watch Freddie perform and to say that I've watched a lot of Freddie live performances is an understatement because he him connect with an audience is to me the epitome of love outside of romance or even for, it, it's a deeper love it's like unconditional I completely agree with you but here's the thing about Fred I mean I think when Freddie sings to the audience and if you look at the the live performance of White Queen I think in 1974 he shows his throat to the audience a lot when he's singing he often will do he'll do a shoulder back and a throat forward and there's this type of intimacy with seeing his throat revealed that is not a move. Mm. I mean, it doesn't feel like a move. He it it feels like he's, you know, connecting the heavens and earth to me. But there this throat reveal is unbelievable to me. And when I see it, the genuineness of it, I I almost can't believe it. He, by the way, watched every print. He would, you know, because he was the most famous one in the room, would make people watch Prince performances captively after he came back from bars. I did not know that there was this connection between them, but it's just funny to me because I'm really, like I say, I don't like their music, but I will sit and I will watch videos of Freddie performing over and over again. And I was actually like kind of annoyed at the film because I was like, no, it's wrong. Like that's not him. His energy is just so, just one of the most incredible performers. And it's like you say, it's, it is love. It's pure love. And I mean, I went to see mm. Prince. I was very fortunate to see Prince twice. And Prince had this amazing energy of love when he performed as well. You know, it's something, and I would say they channel as they perform. They channel mm -hmm. as they write. And, you know, I feel very fortunate. And obviously we have the sort of worldly view of what success is, right? 
my personal view of success is creative success. I feel very creatively successful. And I think one of the reasons that I feel successful in my work life, in my creative life is because I, I do manage to do that. When I'm writing a song, it's coming through and I'm able to translate an energy and I'm in this state of something slightly other and it's it's a gift and when I'm on stage I can feel it happen just before I go on stage a few minutes before everything kind of shifts I'm, I feel my senses sort of become a little bit more alive and then I'm on stage and I'm just the other day I was doing a show and I was like oh god I'm just really not in the mood to play this gig I really can't be bothered I just want to be in my pajamas and I was saying this to Stuart my husband and he was like I know you you're gonna get on that stage and you're gonna be like bing and I was because I can't help it because it's like, you know, and I do think that, that for me as a musician, it's a ritual. And what happens when you get those rare, incredible performers, you know, who, who have that ability to, to transmit that level and that magnitude of love to that many people, it's a ritual. It's a transformative ritual. Everybody's heartbeats are going to synchronize you know people's energies people's frequencies are all going to sync up and that's the power of music and that's really what I feel is so incredibly special about live performance whether the people doing it know they're doing it or not I think really that's a lot of what's happening I love how you describe that so my connection to Freddie is not as strong as Liz's, but he has kind of guided me when the movie came out. I was inspired by his story, how they started the band and selling their van, et cetera. But that's not real. But go on. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh, that's right. That's not real. Oh my God. The whole- they, were, they were given some studio time in the middle of the night, but shut but they didn't. up. That was not real. The van part wasn't real. But you know what? They they did come from the ground up. That is real. Yeah. But so more recently, I have a group where we do seances and we choose people to kind of focus on and do like a download or call them in in spirit. And so we did Freddie Mercury partly just because I'm like, Liz will flip out. And so it was for a question I was asking around creative partnerships and being more of a performer and managing career. And my friends were more channeling for me. So I don't know that Freddie came in the room, but one of the things that he showed us and me when I was able to channel was this interaction between audience and performer, how the spotlight is this golden light of love that shines on the performer. And then they push this light out to the audience. And then the audience is pushing light back at them. And so that creates this ball of love and it just constantly grew like Mm. the feedback loop of love and everyone supporting and shining and lifting each other up, you know, which isn't maybe what you would assume by going to a rock concert where there's the one performer on stage who's elevated, but it's like you elevate each other through this call and response. Well, not everybody can do it. I mean, and I think that's what Queen did so well. And they even made music that engaged that kind of dynamic, right? Yeah, it engaged the call and response. And, you know, the music I make is it's weird, but it's pop music. I make pop music, you know, and and it definitely has a sort of quality of connectivity and what I was thinking when I was hearing what you were describing about that is the LBRP the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram and in the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram you connect with the brightest light at the top of the universe this golden light and you draw it in and then 
as you do the ritual at some point, I feel it come out of my chest. I was recently speaking with an occultist who I've been learning some stuff from. And I was saying like, I have a lot of sensitivity. If I'm sitting next to somebody, I can feel what's going on with them. And he was like, well, remember your sensitivity about how much you feel also dictates your sensitivity about how much you can express and push out into the world and give into the world. So I think this is coming back to this kind of theme, I guess, that's emerged about this sensitivity of creative, of artists versus this immense power to be able to kind of offer a huge amount of love and a huge amount of light. And, you know, you have people who unfortunately don't quite manage to balance that and they lose their lives young. And I don't necessarily think that's what was going on with Freddie. I think that was just a time where, unfortunately, we lost many queer elders. A generation of gay men died. A generation of queer people died. And I I think about it a lot, what a loss that is, you know. And I don't necessarily think it's that, but but you see people who really were sort of in that, you know, if you think about Janis Joplin. And you think about Amy Winehouse. The 27 Club. 27 Club. And especially those people who hold that kind of really that sort of this this fiery chaos energy Mm. that's so big, you know? And I think a lot of the time they can't regulate it. And and then this is how they they unfortunately leave their bodies. Well, and I think... People take advantage of it too. <laughs> you know, someone who shines that bright of a light wants to be generous. Mm. And and that was one of the other things that came up with the Freddie reading was that – and also seeing the Elvis movie not too long ago, you know, just – at every level, there can be issues where, you know, you have to protect your energy and know how to manage your career because only you can really make the right decisions for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's very much – it's something I've always been – obsessive about I've just always been really obsessive about keeping control of my rights over everything Mm. I look over every contract I'm very cautious Mm. I've had some really odd experiences in the music industry mostly with much older men who have been like you know oh you're really talented these songs are really like big songs it's really you know seeing something and that they want it and they start to do this thing where they just try to get it from you and I'm not fucking having it excuse my language I've never been you know I'll just be like nope I don't need any help thank you and then they get really angry because they're like I could have made you a star and all this weird it's like a comedy sketch like come on really well it's like turning people down on the dating profile yeah if you say no thank you and they're like fuck you you know that's totally the vibe. You turned exactly. me down. You don't know what you missed. And now I'm going to punish yeah. you for actually just making a choice. Yeah. I've had um, a lot of that. And that's a really good sign that you chose correctly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel very fortunate that I've always had, I've had this kind of really strong sense uh, from a very young age that what I create is really precious and I have to really be very aware to not allow it to be taken. You know, I'm very kind of careful in that way. And I think I feel very grateful that I have that sort of ability to have protected, to protect my career so 
carefully. I mean, you know? that seems pretty rare because what a vulnerable moment yeah. when somebody makes something they love and are part of and somebody says, I can do something for you. You know, that moment, I feel myself already being like, take my money, take my butt. What do you want? Make my dreams come true. I, I have difference between me and you, Liz, is that I don't fucking trust anybody. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, and, and also maybe I have an inflated sense. Of, no, 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 no. Don't, no, don't talk yourself down. We're not doing that. I am really smart. Hell yes. And as capable as anybody else. You know, I'm as knowledgeable and as capable as people who've been in the music industry for 50 years, 100%. You know, I don't believe that I need anybody's help. I'd much rather rely on my own intuition, keep myself balanced, you know, through my magical practices, through my spiritual practices, Mm. and just stay. When I think about my work, when I think about my music, it's like being given this fucking unbelievable gift I knew when I was a tiny child like just as much as I knew that there was another dimension to life I knew that this was what I was supposed to be doing there was never a time when I was like I want to be anything other than a musician particularly always love pop music and my music is on the weirder side but it's still pop firmly in the pop genre you know and there was never a time when there was anything else I wanted to do I didn't even know I could sing when I wanted this I didn't even know I could write. I didn't know any of this. I just, I feel like it is such a precious gift that I have that it is my duty to protect it from Mm. any kind of vulturey, you know, and if that means that I have to forge my own, you know, I do feel that I have my own path, you know, in this way. And I feel very protected and I feel, you know, very guided and you know, I feel lucky for those reasons, but it does mean I would never, you know, I wouldn't sign to a major label. Yeah. That's amazing. I saw an artist tweet the other day that she would have sold her organs to get out of her major label deal. Yeah. Oh, well. You know, there's that's. Uh, did you ever go to like art school or anything? Yes. Because <laughs> I feel like art school and I take full blame for myself, my own, but I feel like it turned me into this money grubbing, gallery hungry youth. Oh, really? You know, I think I'm slowly unraveling and mm. I don't blame my teachers or anything. I really think it was a matter of looking at what it took to be financially stable as an American artist Mm. and, you know, and the amount of success that you need to get to be at that level. And also just astronomical, the top, you know, it's insane. The 0.1 of the 1%. I mean, that's the thing. It is the conversation I was having the other day in, in an interview with a magazine in the UK. And I was saying, I feel that it's a shame that there's less experimentation in music now than there perhaps was before but it's because there's so much less money so there's a real push to make your art you have to have it sustain you you have to have a career and when I went to art school I studied music and performance at Brighton University so uh, another person did my course was Natasha Khan from Back for Lashes I don't know if you know that band or and this guy Preston from The Ordinary Boys it kind of randomly bred some sort of people who'd had some moderate success and it was like a really weird course that sort of deconstructed you as a person then tried to put you back together and and it kind of made me weirdly just even more determined to make 
exactly what I wanted to make in exactly the way I wanted to make it because they wanted you to be throwing toasters at the wall while you screeched. Literally once my tutor, I wrote a song because obviously it's music and visual art and I decided to write a song to bring into a crit and my tutor was like, Elizabeth, have you tried singing (laughs) with toast in your mouth? Have you? Oh my God. (laughs) And I was like, no, Connell, I have not tried singing with toast in my mouth because that would be dangerous. I might choke, but that was what I was meeting. And I left that being like, I just want to make music because I fucking love it. I don't want to make music that I have to explain to anybody. But, but, you know, that was, I think I had a unique art school experience because it was like a very weird art course. (laughs) No, but that lines up with SFAI, which was the first art school I went to, where literally we would go around is someone just acting like an insane person or is this performance art? It could be a new genres project or it could be that they're just randomly peeing in the courtyard. And my gosh, you know, you just did not know. No, you didn't know. I saw an installation by somebody on my course who discovered feminism while they were at school. Wow, feminism is a thing. Oh my gosh. And this person at the time was 30. Better late than never. Totally right. I hadn't been in her sphere of understanding before that. She made this insanely huge sculpture. Like I'm talking almost up to the ceiling of one of the studios for a crit session. So it was just in a week she made this sculpture. Wow. Uh, made all out of discarded household objects. So mm-hmm. washing machines, dryers, rays, all of this shit. She made this huge thing. And we were like, what's going to happen with this? We get in there. She then has this little projector and it's projecting onto this TV screen. It had white fabric on it, so you could really see the projection really well. And she just projected a video of her vagina. Yeah, okay. Close up. Classic. Like I'm talking really close. And I was like, I'm at art school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is a rite of passage, I feel like. It is a rite <laughs> totally of passage. It is a rite of passage. The 100%. vagina art is a rite of passage. Yes. Yeah. Or like tampons and <laughs> the art. Yeah. Or- Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. guilty as charged, you know. <laughs> it definitely created some pretty lame feminist-ish artwork. So At the gallery that I used to run a million years ago, and Sarah ran it with me for a while, we did have this one performer. And I don't – I'm not grossed out by menstrual blood. You know what? It's just a fact of life. Bring it. Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one of the performances was basically – getting five women who are menstruating to kind of sit on these wooden boards and just sort of bleed mm. onto them, oh, right. <laughs> which was both actually, it was kind of powerful, but I, I truly, for some reason, I couldn't go there. The energy of it was too much or too something. And I, mm. I am not a vagina phobe. We can talk about vaginas all day long. Well, maybe, I mean, but, but, the thing is, right, is like there's a difference between – I'm a huge fan of Megan Thee Stallion, right? She's like oh, yeah, yeah. a really explicit rapper. Yeah. She can do it, and I'm like, yes. Yeah. And someone else might make really explicit music, and I mm-hmm. cringe. And it's yeah. because it's not coming from a place of – it's where the art is yeah. coming from as much as mm-hmm. what the work is. You know, the intention, the intention and like how much fun they're having, you know, I think as part of it. Yeah. And whether it's coming from a sort of place of wanting Mm -hmm. something or a place of giving something or a place of, you know, I think it's very nuanced. Well, teaching somebody something versus just Mm -hmm. doing something, maybe. Yeah. I think there's a lot going on Um, beyond what 
the creative work is itself. It's the energy. The energy. Well, I think that's true on like Instagram. I always, even just how I post on Instagram and the energy I put in behind the initial post, I always try to be really mindful because sometimes when I'm feeling insecure and I'm like, you know, subconsciously want validation for this painting, I don't feel confident. Mm. And then it gets like two likes and you're like, yeah, that's because people can feel the desperation. And so then I'm like, okay, (laughs) take that down. That's so interesting. Is it also that your your desire for validation is coming from a place of lack? Oh, totally. So you're manifesting it to not be shown as much because I'm. That's what I'm thinking about more. There's, agree that's with that. what you're thinking about more. Totally. You know, like, but it's also it's also. But I mean, it's vulnerable to share out. I have a single out next week. Yeah, single out a week today. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I have a single out next week, next Tuesday. It's called The Dream. And I'm actually, I'm really excited about it. It's, it is a song oh. that I did not write in a dream, but I definitely channeled it. It's actually really funny. I auditioned to be Stevie mm. Nicks in a pub covers band. Amazing. And I learned every single Stevie Nicks song ever. Oh my God. And then went for the audition and didn't get the job. And I was like, how could you not give me the job? I am clearly the child of, I joke that Stevie Nicks and Cher are my lesbian mothers. You know, (laughs) I would not exist without either of them. Why am I not getting this job? So I was like, okay, fine. You didn't give me that job. And Mm. then just a few days later, this song, The Dream just emerged. (laughs) It's like, you can hear the Fleetwood Mac, but it's not an obvious, but you can hear that influence. And it's, it's a love song essentially about how we can build things up in our minds and then we realize that it's an illusion. What I noticed recently lyrically about it, it echoes the kind of my mother said that I never should, you know, those childhood stories that we tell ourselves. It has Mm -hmm. a bit of a mythical edge anyway. How do we find it? Well, it's out next Tuesday and you can go to Spotify or Tidal anywhere that you stream music or YouTube, but you can also find me on Instagram and it's at Elisa Electra, E-L-I-S-A Electra, E-L-E, K-T-R-A. Is that right? I'm dyslexic. So that'll be April 12th. Is that right? April 11th. A- April 11th. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I chose it because it's a it's a Kazemi that day. So I was like, that's got to be good, right? Jupiter conjunct the sun. And I have Jupiter conjunct Uranus in my chart. So I have that kind of... Oh, no wonder. That might also explain some of your like download ability. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, sorry, Freddie had a Uranus dominant chart, didn't he? Oh, did he? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uranus dominant chart. Freddie. What the hell? I've never seen Freddie's chart. Sorry, we're back to Freddie. What in the holy gap? <laughs> we of can't hell. go down this. <laughs> what? But the... I would love to. He just really wants. I want to talk about Silver Moth. He just wants it to be all about him. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> we will never. Yeah, get there. I want to talk about Silver Moth too. Um, sorry, that was just such a gap in knowledge. <laughs> yes, I'm in this band with my husband Stuart. My husband Stuart is also a musician. We met through my friend Heather Lee and I was playing this event for this musician called Jack Rose, who was an incredible guitarist from the state who had sadly died. And this woman, Heather Lee Murray, was also playing. She is American, but she's married to a guy from Glasgow. We were like two most glamorous beings at this very bro-y kind of Cafe Auto London event. And she comes up to me at the bar afterwards and she's, hey. And I was like, hi. And she was so glamorous. And she'd been on stage playing this distorted oh. pedal steel. And like, she's fucking amazing. 
live, really visceral performer, one of those people who really channels. And she came up to a bar afterwards, gorgeous diamonded little dress, heels, red lips, stunning body, everything just, just hot, hot woman. Comes up to me at the bar, she's like, hey. And I was like, hey. And she was like, what's your sign? Oh my God, stop. <laughs> And I was like, I'm a Leo, meaning Pisces. And so then she told me hers, and she's a Pisces. And uh, we were just friends from immediately that moment. And it's actually through her that I met Stuart at an event called Supersonic. So, you know, we met through music, Stuart and I. And uh, over lockdown, we, uh, my friend Nick and I were having, we just kind of have these perpetual conversations about getting out of the UK and often publicly on Twitter, you know, really sucks here. We should really get out. You know, and we were having one of these regular conversations. I remember just being like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just weren't here? <laughs> you know? and, uh, and our friend Matt joined in. And at some point, Matt was like, oh, you know, we should all go record together. There's this amazing recording studio in the middle of nowhere on the Isle of Lewis, which is where Stuart's mother is from. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And then he copied in other people, Evie Vine and Ben Roberts and Stuart and all of these people got po- copied in. And because Matthew is the kind of person who really gets things done. Mm. He was like, let's do it. And we booked the studio, Nick and me and Matthew and Ben and Evie and Stephen and Stuart and I. And we hadn't met these people in person. Oh, wow. So many, it's half wild. the people we'd not met in person. So wild. So we end up going up to the Isle of Lewis, not knowing each other, recording but we went and basically we just improvised a record over the course of about four days pete who runs the studio is a really fantastic engineer and producer and he kind of brought the whole thing together but it was really that record 100 channeled 100 born from the land you know that it was made upon i felt the kind of energy of the sea where the studio is it's so beautiful you look outside and there's just gorgeous black sea and it's called black bay the studio so we named the album after the studio and i think it's quite a mythical record i think it has a lot of themes also of kind of ancestry and grief and you know but it was very much a collectively channeled work in the space of a few days. Well, how did that work in terms of getting on the same frequency, you know, in terms of creating a collaborative project that aligned, you know? I always wondered about that. Do you just jam for a while or what? what's the process of writing a song as a collective? I mean, it was really, we didn't know each other that well. So we literally just got in a room and we jammed and Pete recorded everything. And then Evie, who's had the singer, his beautiful voice, she overdubbed some stuff, I overdubbed. And then one of the songs is really, really beautiful. Gallic Psalms is a poem that Matthew, one of the members of Silvermoth, he's from Aberdeen and his father was a poet, a really beautiful poet. And he'd written this song about the island of Lewis. Oh, wow. And this poem, sorry, about the island of Lewis. Okay. I think he may have actually written a book of poems. One of the songs on the album is music, kind of drone, and then Matthew reciting his father's poem. And his father hadn't died that long before. Yeah. And one of the songs on the album is actually a song called The Eternal, which was about my friend Alana, who died very soon before we all went to record. And she was actually... Oh, wow. Stuart's friend for 20 years so and then my friend but I felt like she was there she's one of those people who's very present you know so I think that and I'd also lost one of my dear friends Emily from school from cancer three weeks before as well oh no I'm so sorry and that was 
2021. Yeah. And like we'd all. That was such a hard year. It was such a hard year. And I think there was like a lot of collective grief. All of us, I know Matthew was really struggling with his dad. And, you know, Stuart and I were struggling with Alana and I was struggling for Emily. And I lost my dad that year in the spring. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, but it was, I felt like I was so not alone. Like everyone had lost someone that I talked to. It was a really, it was just really strange, gutting. gutting. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was expecting my friend Emily to die and it was beautiful that I got to say goodbye to her. You know, I got to write her a song. I got to write a letter to her to tell her how much I'd meant to her. I had this beautiful dream where she was saying goodbye. She was in a hospice. Wow. She was very young. It was cancer. And Stuart got this phone call and we just heard that Alana had died suddenly and So I feel like the reason that the song came out specifically felt like it was about Alana was probably because I hadn't had the chance to kind of process that. Whereas with Emily, like I processed it. It was really wild, but you know, it was actually so beautiful. This is, we've kind of gone off from Silver Moth just briefly, but I want to tell you about what happened. We had a beautiful celebration for Emily's life. It was last year, so 2022. And Emily's sister is, is an academic and had never been open to anything. And she said that losing Emily opened her up spiritually, that she understood there was more to life. And Mm. when we got together in the summer to celebrate Emily, which was this beautiful celebration of such a gorgeous person, she actually, her sister told me that she'd been having these very lucid kind of dreams of Emily in spirit form and the communication was really strong and then actually for my and for my birthday just a couple of weeks after I'd seen Sarah her sister we'd had this conversation I was gifted a reading for my birthday with a medium okay and the medium immediately brought Emily through and got her name got M she was M M and everybody called her M and I mean the details were just off the charts blew my mind and I'm pretty open-minded but I was just like wow yeah. And did she have a message for you or I think it was, was it more just saying hi? I think it was saying hi and I think it was saying you meant a lot to me as a friend, which was a beautiful thing. And and that was, yeah. you know, when I wrote the song for Alana, I felt like that was the connection there as well. But Alana, I feel her with me a lot. And so the okay. Silver Moth record for me holds a lot of that energy of collective grief, but also, mm. you know, the energy of of how things continue for a long time regardless of whether we're here in our physical forms or not, Mm. you know? Well, yeah, it just sounds like you're constantly in collaboration with like, (laughs) in this case, both, you know, physical people and potentially the spirit world. Yeah. That's that's amazing. It's very beautiful. That is beautiful. And thank you for reflecting that because actually, you know, what I was saying at the start, it can feel isolating to be this kind of a person. When you say that to me, it makes me realize like, oh, actually, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. But I think the feeling, because yeah, I mean, I have that too. You know, I I think the number of people who are really open to talking about that kind of thing, and that's partly why I started the podcast, is it's growing, but it's Mm. still like even the people who believe or practice like you, you have an experience going to a medium and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, even though logically you're very – so when you start having these experiences more often, it can be kind of overwhelming like – how do I explain this to other people and how do I just go with it and trust Mm -hmm. my own Mm -hmm. intuition that this is actually happening and discern things that maybe aren't 
that, you know, it's easy to go down the path of like everything is something, you know, but yeah, absolutely. And I often, you know, this is why I try, I try to be a sort of a skeptic. I, you know, I try to sort of balance in my mind, did I dream about my friend because I'm grieving and this is a way for my psyche to reconcile loss right or is there an element of communication does it matter I don't go to I try not to kind of go too deep it's kind of I try not to ever go too deep into these things and to mm. be a, a constant skeptic you know which mm-hmm. might sound hilarious to anybody who has listened to me talking over the past however long but I am I was gonna say yeah you don't sound skeptical but I, I am I understand skeptic. what you mean no I am yeah. I am a skeptic I will not just blindly believe anything because I think that, that leaves you very susceptible to that this is how cults happen you know that kind of thing I think you have to be you know or you will start to believe every single David Icke book or whatever you know you can't mm. just believe everything you have to go by your own experience and and this is why you know and also be willing to be wrong. I yes. think I'm a Scorpio and I actually recently read that most cult leaders are Scorpios. And I, <laughs> I think that's because we really like having this, we're a fixed sign, you know? So oh. we like having this clear understanding and a control over the universe through knowledge. I love that so much. I love Scorpios. I find that hilarious. One of my dearest friends, Jacob, who's from Sacramento, who I mentioned earlier on, he uh, he is training to be a nurse, but he's also the head of the Satanic Temple in the UK. He's a Scorpio. Shh. What? Oh my God, totally. That is the shadow and the light side of Scorpio right there. Absolutely. And you know what? And he's so beautiful with people and all of the work that he does with the Satanic Temple is very positive work too. It is. You know, okay. Yeah, yeah. Is not, that kind of in response to paganism rather than actually worshipping It's actually evil or? political. He's a political okay, Satanist. that's what I was saying. He's an atheistic political Satanist. It's, it's in response to, you know, organized religion. You know, I don't know how I really feel about Satanism. I think there's something about, you know, just the self above all else that doesn't resonate for me. I'm not afraid of the darker aspects of magic. You know, I've worked with Solomonic magic, which some people may shy away from. And I'm interested in Enochian magic and ceremonial magic and things, which I think a lot of people consider to be quite dark, Mm -hmm. which personally I do Mm. not find to be dark. But Mm. I definitely, you know, I think, I think for me, the idea of just total self obsession and self being the center of everything is we need, that's what we need to be moving away from, you know? Yeah. You don't have anywhere to go from there. You know, it doesn't add anything. You can just only turn inwards and like down. And I I mean, you live in Hollywood. Hollywood is a veneer. And I feel, you know, LaVey, Anton LaVey, he was such a Hollywood guy, you know, he was, it was all about the artifice and the showmanship and the, Mm. you know, I don't feel like he had anything profound to contribute. And Mm. I think it was a superficial kind of self. It was very much that I'm kind of fascinated by Los Angeles because of that energetic thing that it has, where it has this extreme light and this brilliance and all of this beauty and then this real shadow. And you get people, Richard Ramirez, who's, I mean, if you're going to have a serial killer from LA, he's the ultimate kind of, do you know what I mean? Which one is he? He's the... Is it a Night Stalker or the, oh, okay. one of those kind of... Oh, just so really, many of them ugh. here. Ugh, I mean, I that's the thing. It's just the shadowy thing. And I feel Satanism, for me, not for me. It's a self-ish 
practice. It's the self above all else. And I understand the need to remove oneself from organized religion and go, okay, I need to be independent. But I think that when you're messing with that stuff, you're messing with energies that you don't necessarily understand. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even though it's just a movie like The Craft where, mm-hmm. you know, anything you send out, you're going to get back. I, mm. I think that is just karma, even if it doesn't happen magically and even if it doesn't happen in this lifetime. I do strongly believe in karma. We were talking about this in the last mm-hmm. episode too. I don't think it's like you're being punished. I just literally think it's like, well, if you put this energy out there, that's what you're going to get. And mm. how do you feel about that? You know, the the golden rule, if you don't want it done to you, then don't do it. Yeah. To people. I think that's a really important thing. And actually as a magical practitioner, that's something because I'm hot-headed fire chart you know I overheard my husband recently saying to somebody you wouldn't necessarily know this about Elizabeth but Elizabeth is a very vengeful person and I was like oh no (laughs) no but I think it's a lot of fire energy and I think that really for me what it's about is injustice justice matters a lot to me and if I if something feels unjust in some way I could get very frustrated by it and what I'm trying to learn to do is to manage through practices that are grounding and through practices like the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, I'm trying to get myself into a position where I'm very careful about what I put into the world. I don't want to be putting Mm. out into the world more kind of, you know, dysregulated, attacky energy. I think some people are probably more susceptible to yeah. to other people's magic. And I think the magic can just be thought. So I think that if mm-hmm. somebody has repeated intense negative thoughts about another person, that it can impact that other person's mental health or their life in some way. Or, you know, I do think we have to be very careful about how we think about people. And that's one of the things for me that I was finding myself getting really frustrated by injustices, things that would happen. I know I have a powerful amount of energy at my disposal. I want to make sure. Especially if you're so tuned in, as you understand how it works. I don't want to be throwing chaos into the world willy-nilly on every little, you know. I don't want to be a vengeful person. I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing is for the highest good, you know, and that my practices are, are in line with my morals and my ethics as a as a human being in relationship with other human beings, you know. I do. Yeah, I love that. That has been my main focus in the last year or so. Just, I mean, it's, I'm sure things are tough in the UK, but in America, it feels like everything is burning to the ground. And yeah, it feels like that here too. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just like, okay, don't add to it. Don't yes. get mad at people mm-hmm. for acting mm-hmm. a certain way or, you know, just don't send stank out. Whereas yes. I think in previous, times in my life, I've been very irresponsible yeah. with just thinking that it only affected me, you know, mm-hmm. I guess, and been negative or cranky or not yeah. taking care of myself and being resentful. And mm-hmm. um, so I've just been keeping my thoughts to myself. And then also if I do send out negative energy, taking it back right yeah. away, Yeah, you know? Um, I think that's very wise. That's kind of what I've been working on as well. And I think that ultimately with the situations that are happening in the world, like say there is a situation playing out, you know, Donald Trump has just been arrested. We could hex and hex and hex him. And, you know, who knows that that might derail what's actually supposed to happen that may actually end up being a more just 
outcomes. Mm. I think we have to use our magic really carefully. And I mean that across the board, whether we consider ourselves magical practitioners or we're just a regular person who's passionate about something. I think passion is a form of magic. And so mm-hmm. I think being aware of situations we're in and not just kind of going all guns blazing, you know, I see it, mm-hmm. <laughs> see all this stuff on the internet sometimes, just like, all of these witches just hexing each other. And I'm just like, I know, you're don't. wasting so much energy. Think of totally. the good that you could be creating in your own lives. Yeah. The best revenge ever is being happy you know in your own lane focused and flourishing I think it's about realizing our power and how we can influence not just our own lives but other people's lives and the greater communities in the world at large and choosing how am I going to influence what do I want my legacy to be That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.